I trust everybody had a good night's rest and a hearty breakfast this morning, or at least one or the other this morning. <laughs> but uh, again, welcome back, especially to those of you who didn't make it to last night's session, welcome. Uh, we're glad you made it up here. We know that it was a long journey, but uh, we trust that it will be uh, worth it over the course of the next uh, day and, and part of tomorrow, so we're, we're thrilled that you're here. Um, before uh, Kendall comes up here to lead us this morning, um, I just want to remind you that we are going to have prayer teams available following uh, this morning's sessions. So if there is something that is on your heart, if there's something that Kendall says that just pricks your conscience or is just working on you and you would like to have some time of prayer, uh, we're going to have prayer teams available and we'll point them out to you. They are also going to be available uh, following lunch. So if there's something that you need or there's somebody who's heavy on your heart that needs prayer as well, those prayer teams are going to be available uh, to you. Uh, it seems appropriate on a weekend where we're discussing the subject of prayer. So um, just know that that's available to you, and I encourage you, uh, if you do have a burden, uh, to avail yourself of the opportunity. So let's just go ahead and begin with a word of prayer today, and um, then I'll turn it over to Kendall. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity to just steal away for a moment up here to a cooler climate, up here to the mountains. And even though it's, it's raining, we thank you, Lord, just for this opportunity to be together as a parish family. We pray that you would warm our hearts and especially warm our hearts to the message of the gospel and to this message that Kendall comes to bring on this important subject of prayer, this opportunity for us to commune with you, Father. And so we pray that you would just settle your Holy Spirit upon us this day. Uh, take away all the distractions that we may have and just help us to focus on those things that, like Mary, we may sit at the Lord's feet and drink in what you have to say to us through your messenger, Kendall Harmon. Bless him, Lord. Uphold him. Give him strength and anoint him with every spiritual blessing and benediction that is necessary for him to do your work. We ask all of these things, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Can everybody hear okay? Anybody who can't hear? Um, I'm going to say a few things by way of quick introduction. We have an enormous amount of time this morning. You're probably worried about how we're going to fill it all. And uh, I'm somewhat worried. So we'll see how it goes, but I, I want to tell you what I, what I hope to do. I'm going to do a few more worship disasters at the beginning, uh, but this morning, after I wrap up a few things from last night, which I've decided I want to do, I kind of prayed about things this morning. I really want to follow up on last night in just a, a, a little bit, but tonight, just, sorry, this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about the anatomy of prayer and I should say to you, part of what I'm doing in this time is trying to share with you the things that, as a young Christian, nobody told me. I think I was a Christian for five or six years before I ever even thought about listening to God that I talked to you about last night. A lot of Christians never even learn that that's something that they're supposed to do. This morning, what I want to do is I want to take you inside the mind of John Calvin, one of the greatest minds in the history of the church, who took some time in his institutes and actually looked at all the prayers in the Bible and actually figured out that actually every prayer properly prayed has a structure. It actually looks like something, if it's going to be a real prayer. It doesn't matter what psalm I drop you in, they actually all have common features. And it's quite helpful 
to know what a proper prayer looks like. And it, it will surprise you, I hope, uh, because there's a lot involved in a proper prayer. So that's where we're headed. Uh, I'm going to do a little bit about last night, and then the, the bulk of our time in our first session this morning is the anatomy of prayer. And we're going to look at what a prayer looks like theologically according to John Calvin. You all with me so far? All right. Just a, just a few... Um, <coughs> More worship disasters, uh, just a few bulletin bloopers, and then I'm going to do, I think, uh, I'm going to do lay reading, if it's okay with you. Uh, Wednesday, the ladies' liturgy group will meet. Mrs. Johnson will sing, Put Me in My Little Bed, accompanied by the pastor. Our next song this morning is, Angels We Have Heard Get High. (laughs) Mrs. Charlene Mason sang, I will not pass this way again, giving obvious pleasure to the congregation. (laughs) Wise up, O men of God, smile at someone who is hard to love, say hell to someone who doesn't care much about you. The the sermon this morning, Jesus Walks on the Water. The sermon tonight, Searching for Jesus. (laughs) The the over-60s choir will be disbanded for the summer with the thanks of the entire congregation. (laughs) Please welcome Pastor Don a caring individual who loves hurting people. <laughs> All right. I, uh, this was listed in the church bulletin of the Nazarene Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. In connection with a sermon on God's mantle, the song was, Let God's Mangle Fall on Me. Song lyrics actually printed in the bulletin, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and briefs to bear. Church sign in the middle of the United States, Jesus saves. Safeway sign across the street, Safeway saves you more. Now I I told you I had these all divided up into sort of sections of the liturgy. So you may think, I mean, lay reading, reading from, from scripture, that can't possibly have disasters attached to it. Oh, oh yes, it can. So two, two quick stories for this morning before I launch. The first is from a church in Georgia, and it is a, a high school student who was a girl, and she was learning to do lay reading, and she put a lot of time into it. She was very nervous. This was her second time up, and she had one of those terrible Old Testament passages that are full of what I call the ites. Do you know what I mean by the ites? The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Jacobites and all the ites. And so she was reading, she was concentrating, and she said it right in the middle of worship in Georgia on a Sunday morning. She said the high titties. <laughs> she, just, she just read it right out. And that, that was it for the congregation. The rest of the morning, nobody could, could focus. Or, and the thing, is, the thing is, you just know that that happened. Because it's, just, it's, it's not too far off from Hittites. And, you know, she, just, she was trying so hard. My, my own personal favorite is very hard to describe. Because it happened in seminary. It was my second year. And... 
This is outside of Pittsburgh. It was kind of a dreary, overcast Pittsburgh morning, right in the middle of the second term of second year. So it's kind of, you're past the sophomore slump, and nobody knows what they're doing, and it's kind of an or, apparently ordinary day. And one of my friends was reading scripture, and uh, we're all sitting there, and the dean's there, and it's, a, it's about 8, 10 in the morning, and my friend is reading a passage which says, and the Lord shall chastise your sons and daughters. It's from the Old Testament. And we're all sitting there, and he reads, the Lord shall castrate your sons and daughters. And it, the, the, thing, the thing that I absolutely love about this story is that, you've all, and you all have had this experience, no, everybody, there was complete silence. No one laughed at all. And, and what happened is everybody sort of realized what had happened, but we were all in the same place, which is we were trying not to let it get to us and not to let us bother us. And the dean, John Rogers, was about two pews ahead of me, and I watched as his neck turned red and went up his face, and the service kept going, and I watched, and he was trying so hard. And I remember, as vividly as it was yesterday, his entire face turned red, and he started to cry, because he was, he was trying so hard, and we'd gotten to the next reading, and all of a sudden, in front of the whole seminary community, John Rogers went like this, And that was it. I mean, it was complete pandemonium for like 10 minutes. I mean, we'd all been trying not to admit what had just happened. And then the dean finally lost it with tears in his eyes. And so that was it. So uh, that's, and it's, a, you can't make that kind of thing up. But that really, that really happened. All right, before I pray, uh, I want to pick up on last night and just say a word about how uh, to listen to God, because it's not enough to say it. It's, it needs to be, I think, unpacked a little bit just to give you some help. So I'm going to try to lay out a little bit of a map, and then we'll spend the morning on the anatomy of prayer. You all with me? All right, still going to keep praying. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Lord, we do begin with you because all things begin with you, and we acknowledge that in you we live and move and have our being. We didn't make ourselves, we didn't make this day, we didn't make this time. Lord, we thank you for this day, we thank you for the gift of life, we thank you for the gift of new life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we thank you that you have called us to such a time as this to learn how to pray, and we thank you that you're going to change lives and change history as a result of this retreat. And we offer you that, that possibility and that hope, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and continue to teach us and open our minds to the things that you want us to learn as your disciples. Lord, teach us to pray. Help us to learn to be better prayers. Open us to what you have for us. Build your kingdom in our midst and build it right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right. I want to just pick up on one feature of last night. We talked about the fact that it starts with meditation on Scripture and the fact that God is a given and it begins with God. Everything begins with God. It's got to be regular, morning by morning. It's about listening. It's not just about listening. It's about listening with the posture of a student. I was thinking of the Microsoft ad that may be known to you. Uh, wh where do you want to go today? says the Microsoft ad. This is, Lord, what do you want to teach me today? And then not all, only all those things, but the last one, which is, the, I think, the hardest one, which is, it doesn't matter what God says, 
I'm going to do it, I'm going to listen to it, I'm going to be open to it, because God is God and I am not. And when Jesus calls us, he says, come follow me. So part of the pattern that this sets for you is this. You are in a culture which tells you in every conceivable way that you are leading your life. And what the gospel says is, you are not leading your life. You are following someone else who is leading your life. And the difference between those two is night and day. And if you start your day this way, it reorients you in such a way that you can withstand the attacks of a culture that's constantly saying, you're in charge, you are the center of the universe, you're leading your life. No, fortunately, Jesus has this day, and Jesus has me in his hand, and he's going to take me where he wants me to go. You all with me so far? All right, so I just want to say a quick word about listening to God. And I want to do this um, by sharing an experience and a Bible verse and uh, three insights that I've learned over the years. If you talk about listening to God, it can become vague unless you learn how to do it. And there are certain ways to do it, and there are certain things to pay attention to. And the, the verse that I'm after is a famous verse in the Old Testament. If you're taking notes, I want you to take it down. Isaiah 40, verse 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's a, it's a beautiful Beautiful verse. And in that verse are three ways to listen to God. But I want to start with an experience that I had in Pittsburgh. When I finished in Vancouver, I had learned Hebrew, and I hadn't yet had the opportunity to learn Greek. I had fantastic Hebrew teachers in Vancouver, so I chose to start with the Old Testament. And I had friends of mine who were Presbyterians, and they had a friend of theirs who was a Greek teacher who, in his retirement, for fun, taught people Greek. Now, that in itself ought to catch your attention. What kind of a person retires and teaches Greek for fun? But the person who was their friend was somebody named Dr. William F. Orr. And he taught me Greek inductively. My first Greek class was, I opened the Gospel of John not knowing a word of Greek or any Greek at all. And he looked at me and he said, what does it say? Try to read it. And I said, well, I, don't, I don't know what it says. I don't know what it says. I don't even know the letters. And he said, well, what does that first letter look like? That was my first class. What I didn't realize when I took Greek inductively from Dr. Orr is that I would learn Greek, but I would learn a whole lot more about Jesus Christ from somebody who'd been walking with Jesus for over seven decades. Dr. Orr, among many other things, was a lifelong New Testament scholar at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. He wrote many New Testament commentaries. He had a stroke in his 70s. He lost the ability to talk. He retaught himself to talk, he retaught himself English, he retaught himself Greek, and then as a full professor retired, taught him taught Greek for fun, having lost the ability to speak English and to speak Greek. Unbelievable. And uh, when you went to be with Dr. Orr, you'd get Greek, but you'd mainly get stories. So one day we're talking about guidance, we're talking about listening to God, and here I am with this 70-plus-year-old man who's just this living book of Proverbs, you know what I mean? I mean, just... Every time he turned around, I'd walk away from class saying, man, how does he get that wisdom? I, I never would have thought of that. We get going on listening and being guided by the Holy Spirit. And he looks at me and he says, oh, he said, that's really important. Here's what you need to remember. And he paused. And, you know, whenever he did this, by this time I'd gotten, this was not going to be Greek. This was going to be Dr. Orr. He said this. He said, drift. This changed my life. He said, drift. That was the word. He said, if you learn drift, you will learn what it means 
to be a spirit-guided Christian who listens to the Holy Spirit. Now, he went on to explain that the metaphor for the Christian life can be thought of as a sailboat. And the reason why a sailboat's so great, of course, is the sail is the recipient of the wind. And if you remember, Jesus says he blows where he wills. And Dr. Orr said this. He said, Kendall, you're going you're gonna to realize that your life is being guided and you're a boat. And it's all about being sensitive to the wind. It's not about you, it's about the wind. He said, most of the time, it'll just be an ordinary day. Every once in a while, what you'll find is you thought your boat was going this way and a whole bunch of things will have happened and you'll have found that your boat is going that way. And if you're paying attention to all the little shifts, you'll get a sense of it. And then every once in a while, he said, you will find that the wind will just blow out of nowhere and all of a sudden there'll be a dramatic shift And you need to learn to pay attention to all those things. And that is years and years and years of wisdom in Isaiah 40, verse 31, in one image. So here we go. Here is the way that you listen to the Lord. Number one, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And every once in a while, people who look like ordinary people will mount up like wings as eagles. There will be something supernatural that happens. This is, this is crucial to understand. I had no idea as a young Christian the value of being part of St. Paul's Darien, Connecticut and the charismatic renewal movement as a young Christian because I learned as a young Christian that God did dramatic things. My roommate drove five hours one way to worship at St. Paul's Darien many weekends. And the people who worshipped at that church when I went to my first service Many of them had driven two and three hours from all over Long Island and Connecticut and New Jersey. And they came to this church because when Terry Fulham preached and the choir sang, the Holy Spirit showed up. And they went to meet God. And I actually learned as a young Christian that the whole way that you function as a Christian is you actually show up expecting God to be there. One of the most important images for the the posture of that student is expectancy. One quick story about expectancy before I go roaring on. Uh, Jeffrey is a historian, so I have to be careful, but I I do love telling stories about uh, church history. And this is a story from the administration of Lyndon Bain Johnson, who may be known to you. And this is a story about his press secretary, who is a woman named Liz Carpenter. And on this particular day, President Johnson had gone to Ohio on the plane to speak And his wife had gone with him, and he'd done these various things in the morning. And Lady Bird Johnson, for whatever reason, decided that she wanted to switch plans. She wanted to go back early to Washington, D.C., and they were going to drive. So if you picture the scene, you're with the First Lady of the United States. You're part of the press score, Liz Carpenter, and you've got to find a place, you ready, to have lunch. Right? The point point is, you, you haven't got this on the itinerary. So they had to call a restaurant somewhere between Ohio and Washington, D.C. and say, hi, uh, the first lady's coming to your restaurant. Please be ready. Click. And they chose a Howard Johnson's. And totally unplanned. So just, just imagine the, 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 the amount of activity at this Howard Johns restaurant that must have been going on. And of course, the big question was, who would be the waitress that would get the incredible privilege of waiting on Mrs. Lyndon Johnson? So they chose the waitress, and uh, she was incredibly nervous, and they got there, they did the whole meal, and the the waitress was incredibly effective, and Liz Carpenter being the kind of person that she was, before they left, she wanted to go over 
and thanked this waitress who had had her day ruined and had nevertheless stepped up to the plate and waited on the first lady of the United States. And she said, this is, she goes over to her and she speaks to her one-on-one and she says, you know, I just want you to know we, we weren't expecting to do this. We came here spontaneously. We really interrupted you. And to do a task like that, you really did a fantastic job. It's not every day that you get to wait on Mrs. Lyndon Johnson, at which point the waitress turned red from the neck up. And she looked at Liz Carpenter and she said, Mrs. Lyndon Johnson? She said, oh, I thought it was Mrs. Howard Johnson. Now, the, the reason why I love that story is it's about the power of expectations. See, for her, Mrs. Lyndon Johnson was not as important as Mrs. Howard Johnson. And so it was even more important to take care of Mrs. Howard Johnson than the First Lady of the United States. And this, this issue of expectancy. So the first thing is, you're going to be there in the middle of your day. You're going to wake up in the middle of the night. Something's going to happen. It's going to be out of the pattern. I can't say this as strongly as probably needs to be said. Learn this, if something catches you off guard, if it catches your attention, if something weird happens, write it down. I cannot stress to you how important it is to learn to do this. If the Holy Spirit shows up, you've got you to have your sail up to catch the wind or it'll go whisking right over and the sail will miss it. Just one story from my own life. Elizabeth knows this story well. It's a great story because it illustrates the theme really well. So I'm in the middle of Eucharist. We're at the main service at St. Paul's Somerville, a typical Sunday morning. Uh, the place is packed, and the way that we have it set up is we have an altar rail at the front, but we also have a standing station. So I'm giving out communion. I'm at the altar, and I'm giving out communion, and all of a sudden, this, this happens to me. As if Jesus is standing next to me, I get a word, and here's the word. You ready? What you are wrestling with doing, you are to do Todd Davenport. Right? I'm giving communion at the altar. Now, Todd Davenport is a parishioner. So not only have I been given a word which doesn't make any sense to me at all, but I've been given a word for a parishioner who's somewhere out in the congregation. So the first thing that happens is I'm going down the altar rail, and just like I told you, I've, I've learned to write it down. So I, I, I literally went, the body of Christ. Do you have a pen? The body of Christ. Because I, I, was, a, I was actually afraid. I was actually afraid that I was going to forget this. So I got, I got a chance to write it down. I kept giving communion. I thought, well, this will work out okay because Todd will come up to the altar rail. I bet you know what I'm going to say. Todd didn't come to the altar rail. Todd went to the standing station. So I thought, well, this is just great. <laughs> so uh, we, had, we had the service. We had, we had coffee hour afterwards, and I sort of waited my time. And I, didn't know, I knew Todd a little, but I didn't know him very well, and I certainly didn't ever talk to him about manifestations of the Spirit. So this was a little bit weird. And I went up to him and I said, Todd, I don't, I don't know um, if you know about this stuff and I don't know if this is going to mean anything to you, but I know that I have to tell you this because the Lord told me that this is a word for you. And so I said, what you are wrestling with doing, you are to do. And I paused. He burst into tears and he looked like a ghost and he went completely silent. And I knew enough about the way these things work to know that my job was done and, and that I had to let it be because it wasn't for me. 
Now, one of the funny sort of parenthetical parts of this story, which I absolutely love, is in my family, we come home and we talk about what happened at worship. So we've got three children, Abigail, Nathaniel, and Selima Marie. And so, of course, at lunch, I told this story because it just happened. And I'll, I'll never forget, <laughs> Abigail, when I finished the story, she looked up at Elizabeth and me and she said, Dad, what do, what do you mean you left? What did he say? What did it mean? She was, she was beside herself because she had no idea. And I said, Abigail, I haven't got a clue. But I just know that it was for him. So without taking you through the whole long story, and it is a, a very long involved story, we had been involved in a capital campaign that we had just started. And we had asked for people to consider giving preliminary gifts. Todd and his wife had decided to give a preliminary gift that week. They had fought about it all week. Uh, Todd wanted to wait to give it. His wife, Barbara, wanted to give it just then. And they had actually been fighting about it in the pew before going up to communion. And, and they were wrestling with whether to give it now or to give it later. And Barbara said, you need to give it now. And Todd said, you need to give it later. And uh, when I told him that, it was a word from God to him to say, your wife is right, you need to give it now. <laughs> Now, how in the world does something like that happen? I mean, think of all the number of variables. That, that's just one story. Think of all the crazy stuff that's involved. When I say the Holy Spirit blows where he wills and it's weird, how about, what if I didn't write it down? What if I didn't get it right? So every once in a while, something will happen and it will be dramatic. Learn to pay attention. We've had two experiences where I now serve in the parish where I've been preaching and we've had a medical disaster happen in the parish. When I was a young priest, it scared me to death. Now what I do is I just stop. I literally stop in the middle of the sermon. I just pray. It doesn't threaten me at all. Because the Holy Spirit's in charge, I'm not in charge. So, And it's pretty, pretty funny now because the last incident, everybody knew what I was going to do. They all looked at me and got ready for me to pray because they knew that I would do that. It's that kind of a thing. So I don't know if it's going to be a dream that comes to you repeatedly over three days. I don't know if you're going to be awakened in the middle of the night. I don't know if somebody who's going to, that you haven't heard from in 20 years is going to call you up. But what I know is the Holy Spirit is going to bring stuff to you. And it's going to be unusual stuff. And if you're not ready and you're not paying attention, you're going to miss it. So let's, let's call it, can we call this the miraculous? Right? The unusual. Right? That's number one. And you've got, you got to be open to it before it comes. Because if you're not... You'll miss it. And life is a mystery to be lived, right? We all together, not a problem to be solved. Nobody understands the fullness of life, only God does. Second, you shall run and not be weary. Now, this image, and this was the heart of what Dr. Orr taught me, is, is, is a very important image. And I, the way I like to think about it is constellations, because my parents, when we were growing up, took us to an astronomy course at the New Jersey uh, planetarium, and so I learned a little bit as a kid about uh, stars. And what happens is, every once in a while, things align. So this is about things that line up. So you're having your prayer time, or uh, something's going on in your life, and all of a sudden, certain things line up. It can be feelings, it can be relationships, it can be ideas, but things start to learn up, line up. They have patterns. So all of a sudden, you'll find your life is seemingly semi-random, and then the three stars in the middle of the belt of Orion 
will be sitting there. It doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. What you've got to learn to do, and that's what's at the heart of this second image, is you've got to learn to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and spot the pattern. So I'll give you the super obvious one from my own life. When I got out of seminary, I went to Sumter in 1987. We served our curacy, and uh, the bishop at the time, Bishop Allison, he told me that I needed to do further study and go on to do a doctorate. The, the rector of the parish, Charlie Walton, he told me that I needed to uh, go on and do further study and do a doctorate. My wife had been repeatedly telling me that she thought that I needed to go on and do further study. And then my best friend from college, who was my best man at my wedding, also told me that I needed to go on and do further study. Now, I'm dense, but I'm not that dense. <laughs> Even I could see the pattern. And the reason why I went to do that study is because those things lined up. And it was just clear as a bell. So learn to pay attention to patterns. Right? You've been sleeping fine. All of a sudden, you're not sleeping fine. You're getting up in the middle of the night. Ask yourself the question, what's there? What have you been dreaming about? What, what is the first thought that pops to your mind? There's a great passage in Ignatius of Loyola where he says this. He says, sometimes the Lord leads by feelings. And when he leads by feelings, he says this, very profound. He says, he gives you a feeling that won't go away. I cannot tell you how important that is. My wife can tell you, I have the gift of discernment. I think it's been about 10 times in my life. Every once in a while, I'll be doing something, something will happen, and I'll just have this feeling, and it'll be like this. This is profoundly wrong. And when I get that feeling, I don't get it very often. It not only stays, it gets stronger. It's only happened to me 10, 10 fingers or less on two hands. We're in the middle of a capital campaign at Christ St. Paul's. Uh, this is before the story about the, the word that came at the altar rail. And uh, we're, we're, we're probably two-thirds of the way into the capital campaign. And I'm in this meeting, and all of a sudden I have this sense, something is really not right, right? Uh, for those of you who are children's story people, right? Uh, in the middle of the night, Miss Clavel turned on the light and said, something is not right, right? You all with me? So, and, and this feeling that I have about something not being right, it, it simply won't go away. It gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And I realize that there's something about the way that this person who's been brought in as a consultant for our capital campaign is operating that's making me more and more uncomfortable. And to make matters worse, the rector with whom I was working at the time didn't see it and didn't agree with me when I brought it to him as a problem. And it got stronger and stronger and stronger. And without taking you through the whole long story, I ended up contacting Ed Salmon. We went through the whole thing. And uh, making a long story short, Bishop Salmon, who did a lot of things super well, one of which was back to his clergy and came in to help parishes with significant spiritual problems behind the scenes, never got much credit for doing all the good. He came in, we consulted about the problem, and making a long story short, he, the, the, the consultant we had was actually acting unethically and had been for a, a substantial period of time. It was all uncovered. Uh, there are a lot of wise people that I was dealing with that didn't see it at all. And it all began with a feeling that something was wrong that wouldn't go away. And it took months for it to finally unpack. So learn to pay attention to patterns. And the last one, the way that I describe this is, and I really love this phrase, is, is what I call the glorious grace of ordinary days. Right? This is the morning by morning part. 
This is the fact that you simply are there, you're available to God, you're doing your quiet time, and there's a great section in O'Halsby's classic work on prayer, and I hope you know that book. If you don't, uh, I do commend it to you. I think it's probably the best prayer book that's ever been written about prayer, O'Halsby. He's a Scandinavian writer. He has this great section in his book on prayer where he says, prayer is work. And he, he uses an illustration from the mining industry, which is something that goes on a lot in the towns near where he lives. And he says, in the mining industry, you spend all your time whacking away at rocks and trying to find the vein of gold or silver. And you can, you can spend 100 days looking for the right vein, and 99 of the days you're just hacking away and the one day when you actually find the vein, that's when you get to go down, use the, the depth charge of the TNT, blow it up, and bring all the gold or the silver out of the vein. And what he says is, prayer is like that. It's like, prayer is the 99 days of apparently ordinary work where you do it, so that on the 100th day, all of a sudden, boom. And uh, that's the last thing. So, so what, what drift looks like is that, is lots of times you're looking at a sailboat and just kind of sitting there in the wind, Right? And what you need to understand is God has you right where he wants you. But the magic of the Holy Spirit is those are the days that keep your life going so that the other two things can happen and God can take you where he wants you to go. There's a fantastic passage in Origen in the early church, one of the early church fathers, where he talks about the, the scene in Genesis with Rebecca at the well. And he says, there she is, and she's gone to the well. Get this image now. And he says this, he says, she's gone to that well every single day for the last three months, every time she's been there. But it's on this day that Abraham's servant comes. It's on this, this one day that she's out there in the well. And she would never have been noticed, and she would never have been married, and she would never have been found, and she would never have had her life changed if she hadn't have been going to the well every single day. And Origen says, that's what prayer and being guided by the Holy Spirit is like. You go to the well a hundred times in order for the one time in the hundredth time to be when Abraham's servant is there looking for a wife and everything changes. You all with me? So those are three images that I want you to have when you think about listening to the Lord just to kind of cultivate your imagination. Is that, is that somewhat helpful in terms of just things? I'm a big believer in prayer journals and prayer diaries and all those things. Uh, I've learned to write things down. I hope you've learned to write things down. But and definitely you need to have a, a, a relationship with your, with your spouse where you can learn uh, that, that the way that you raise your kids is the way that you need to think about God. You all know parenting, which is an exercise in humility, if ever there was one, right? That parenting is the incredible challenge all your life of finding the mysterious balance between the, the tight grip and the open hand. Right? And you have to and the thing about the thing about that's so hard is every child is different. And and the thing about God and the Holy Spirit's guidance is you've got to have a balance between the tight grip, right? I have to get up every morning, I've got to do it morning by morning, gotta to listen to the Lord. But you also have to have the open hand. And there may be a time when there's something going on in your life and you you're actually hearing something and you don't know what thing about it. If you don't talk to your spouse about it, they'll know what it is and you won't. And they'll tell you about it. It can emerge in conversation. So this is a doctrine of discovery of the leading of the Holy Spirit that I'm giving you. And what's so awesome about this image is it makes life adventuresome. And this is one of the, the least talked about aspects of discipleship. Discipleship is exciting. 
Discipleship is fun. Discipleship is incredibly adventurous. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah's fighting it out with the Lord, and the Lord says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, for crying out loud, if you, if you can't run with horses, how do you think you're going to do the rest of the stuff I'm telling you about? Jeremiah's down there fighting it out with the Lord, and the Lord basically says to Jeremiah, you're selling me short. You think it's going to be great, and you're going to be able to, to run as fast as horses. I have way bigger plans for you than that. So life is strange. God can show up at an altar rail, right? God can show up in the middle of your dreams. God can show up in the middle of a church meeting. And uh, to be open, to be able to be guided is one of the most profound things in the world. All right, so that's wrapping it up. That's giving you an image to, to, to listen to the Lord. Let's get to Calvin so I don't completely bury myself in the time department. And I'm going to stop at 10.15. And Jeffrey will, uh, will stand up if I don't. Uh, and I would like to ask him to do that. So turning to Calvin and prayer. And I think what I want to do, as we look at the anatomy of prayers, I want to take you to Nehemiah 1, if it's okay with you. Because if you're going to talk about prayer, you need to look at prayers. And if you want to learn about prayer, the best thing to do is to learn about prayer in the Bible. And by the way, if you're struggling to pray, one of the best things to learn to do is to pray biblically. If you take out one of Paul's letters, all you need to do is make Paul's language your own. If you're struggling to pray. And you look at what he says to the Philippians or something. He said, I thank my God in every remembrance of you. Right? You can, you can learn to pray that. So if you want to learn about prayer, you've got to look at the prayers in the Bible. And the two key parts of the Bible for prayer are the Psalms and the Lord's Prayer. But here is one of the great prayers in the Bible in the book of Nehemiah chapter 1. You remember the story. We're way past the key time in Jerusalem's history when the great temple of Jerusalem has fallen to ruins and we're past the time of the exile. So we've gone all the way from kingship to the fall of the northern kingdom to the fall of the southern kingdom, and the temple is no more. And Nehemiah comes back to Jerusalem and he sees Jerusalem broken down and the temple broken down. And verse 4 says, When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, everybody see where I am, verse 5? And here comes the prayer. All right, here are five things from Calvin that characterize every good prayer as far as he's concerned. First, I know you're going to be shocked. Depends on what chapter. Chapter 1. Chapter 1. Verse 4 and 5. Prayers are first and foremost about God. They are God-centered. They are focused on God's character. They are focused on God's activity. You remember I told you about dropping you into an American church's prayer group. Uh, Dear Lord, Aunt Minnie's knee needs to be healed. It's stuff like that. If you look at the biblical prayers, one of the biggest contrasts between their prayers and our prayers is the biblical prayers are full of the greatness and the glory and the character and the work of God. What is so shocking about Nehemiah's prayer in this chapter is this is a total disaster, right? Right. We're in the situation where uh, in the War of 1812, right, Washington has been ransacked, right? The capital city has been overrun. Imagine, I mean, if anything gets your heart going, it's something like this. So you would expect him to say, Lord, it's, this is terrible. The walls are down. Please fix the walls. That would be the way that I would pray. No, 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 not, not Nehemiah. Nehemiah goes straight to God. This is about the Father. This is about the Lord God has given me. 
And what you have to do is not simply begin with God, but you have to call to mind the reality of the God with whom you have to do. And what's remarkable about this prayer is it's not for quite a while that he gets to the petition. Look at what it says. Oh, Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Please fix this wall. No, he's not done. Let thy ear be attentive and thy eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I now pray before thee day and night for the people of Israel, thy servants, before thee day and night for the people of Israel, thy servants, confessing the sins of the people which we have sinned against thee. Yea, I and my father's house have sinned. Has he gotten to the petition yet? No. Yea, we have acted very corruptly against thee. We have not kept our commandments, the statutes and the ordinances which thou didst command thy servant Moses. Remember the word which thou didst command thy servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you will be dispersed under the farthest skies, I will gather them thence and bring them to the place which I have chosen to make my name there. Has he gotten to the petition yet? Nope, not yet. They are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, let thy ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who delight to fear thy name and give success to thy servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And on and on it goes. It is a God-centered prayer that focuses on two things, God's being and God's action. And all true prayer has to start there. O oh God, you are my God, says Psalm 63. O oh God, you are my God. It's repeated twice. He doesn't get to his petition until he brings the fullness of God into his mind and into his consciousness first. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. That's the way the liturgy begins, right? No. The liturgy begins this way. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How does the liturgy end? The blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Did you know that every single week in worship as an Anglican, you go from the Trinity to the Trinity? It's no escaping it. You know why Cranmer set it up like that? Because that is the nature of the God with whom you have to do. You don't get to the prayer of Hamlaxus until you first begin with, Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The reality of God, that is who God is. So there's all the difference in the world, brothers and sisters, between beginning your prayer, Lord, please bless me this day. Please lead me the way that you want me to go. All things like that. Those are good things. But there's all the difference in the world between that and, Oh, Lord God. You created the heavens and the earth by the power of your outstretched hand. Nothing is too difficult for you. Pause. And then, or to quote St. Paul in Ephesians, O Lord, you are the God who is able to do, and I quote St. Paul, far more abundantly than all that I can ask or imagine. Wow. You see what I'm talking about? It is a God-centered prayer. It brings the character of God to bear. Lots of times in the Old Testament there will be specific actions of God in the past that will be brought to bear. One of the biggest is the Exodus, right? And memory plays a huge role in prayer. So you could say this, you could say I could pray, uh, O Lord God, you are the creator of heaven and earth. 
Um, thank you for this day. Thank you for creating me. Thank you for the opportunity to live this day in your presence. Thank you that when I was 18, you brought me to yourself, even though I wasn't looking for you. Pause, right? That's, that's my memory of 18, right before going to Bowdoin College that summer. The Lord brought me to himself. That's my exodus. You could have your own exodus. But, but the point is, you have to bring to mind God's character, but also God's action. God actually does things in space and time history. And this God who is prayed to here is a God of action. Turn over for just a second if it's okay. Sorry, I told you you need to bring your Bibles. Turn over to Jeremiah just for a second. I'm going to do 32. This is when um, Jeremiah is given. This is another great Old Testament prayer to be tied together with Nehemiah chapter 1. Same theme. I'm going to begin at verse 16. All right, so everybody with me? Jeremiah 32, verse 16. So if you're in the New Testament, head left. If in the Old Testament, head right. Right? By the way, uh, just in passing, definitely learn the books of the Bible in order, in a way that's comfortable for you. I get teased about this all the time. I had so much trouble with the minor prophets, I wrote my own song so that I could keep the minor prophets in order because I always have trouble... Right, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Right, I could do, I could take you through the rest of the song, but the point is that that's just my mnemonic device. But the point is, if you're gonna, if I'm gonna draw, if you're gonna learn your way around, you got to have a way to get the mountains in order and to know where you are on which mountain and which part. So you got to, you got to, if you're in the Psalms, you got to go that way, right? If you're in the Minor Prophets, you got to go this way. We're in Jeremiah 32. All right, he's been given the deed of purchase and he's going to pray. Everybody see we're in verse 16. And I, I, after I've been given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Nero, I pray to the Lord. And here it comes. And you see, if you're in the average American prayer meeting, right, you get adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. No, 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 no. You get biblical prayer and you get, look at this. Ah, Lord God. Pause. That's not it. It doesn't stop there. It is thou who has made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by that outstretched arm, arm, nothing is too difficult, or in my translation, RSV, too hard for thee, who showest steadfast love to thousands, but dost requite the guilt of the fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel and mighty in deed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of men, rewarding every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings, who has shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, and to this day in Israel and among all mankind, and has made thee a name as at, as, as at this day. It's, and it's still going. He's not done talking about God and God's character and God's action. And then he says, Yet thou, O Lord, verse 25, buy the field and get witnesses, right? The intercession comes way late. So God being an action, right? Attributes. And activities, right? God is always all present, all powerful, all good, all loving. I uh, am a lifelong lover of Eugene Peterson, who taught at my uh, alma mater after I left at Regent College. I don't know if you know his books. He's a he's a Presbyterian minister, but he died uh, last year. And one of the things I love about Eugene Peterson is his, <coughs> his theology sort of pushes his way all the way through 
all of his writings, and his son had to preach his funeral. And at, at his funeral, his son actually came out with um, the, the heart of his father's theology, and, it, and he basically said this, he said, uh, God, God loves you, God loves you more than you can all that you can ask or imagine, he will pursue you, he will never give up, he is relentless. That was what his son says was his father's only sermon. Well, I, I, I want to read you the exact quote, and I couldn't find it fast enough, so I'll get back to it. I promise I'll give it to you verbatim. I just couldn't find it fast enough because it just popped into my mind. All right, so, but, but the point is, you, you have a way of zeroing in on who God is. And there can be character aspects of God, his holiness, his majesty, his beauty, his glory, what, whatever springs to your mind. You've got to fill yourself with the reality of God first before you get to what you're going to say. Now, Calvin goes into all these prayers and he finds these common elements. And it's very cool what he finds. He says every prayer in the Bible has five elements. And that's the first one. But it's the next four that interest me because they're about us and about our posture. Listen. So, that's number one. Everybody with me? How am I doing on time? Ten minutes. Okay, two. Let the first rule of prayer... Then be, says Calvin, after you fill your mind with God, to have our heart and mind framed as become those who are entering into converse with God. This we shall accomplish in regard to our own mind if we lay aside carnal thoughts and cares which might interfere with the direct and pure contemplation of God, to be wholly intent on prayer, but also, and as far as possible, listen to this language, to be raised and born above oneself. I do not here insist on a mind so disengaged to feel none of the gnawings of anxiety. On the contrary, it is by much anxiety that the fervor of prayer is inflamed. You don't get the sense when you're listening to that prayer of Nehemiah that he's not upset about the falling of the wall. He's very upset. Thus we see that the holy servants of God betray great anguish, not to say solicitude, when they cause the voice of complaint to ascend to the Lord from the deep abyss and the jaws of death. But what I say is, all foreign cares and extraneous thoughts must be dispelled, by which the mind might be driven to and fro in vague suspense, to be drawn down from heaven, and to be kept groveling on earth. I love it. When I say you must be raised above yourself, I mean that you must not bring into the presence of God any of those things which in our blind and stupid reason we are wont to devise nor keep ourselves confined within the little measure of our own vanity, but rise to a purity worthy of God. Now that's a subtle point, but it's an important one, and it comes after the first one. First, you've got to start with the reality of God. But the second thing is, you've got to, you've got to purify yourself. And I think this is why the prayer of humble access is where it is in the liturgy. Because God is holy and we are not. Because we are broken, we are sinful. Do you see us, Lewis? Uh, I'm allowed to quote him because Brian's here. Uh, he, right? He, we're bent. Right? So you, the, the reality is you've got, to, you've got to say to yourself, I'm approaching the king of the universe. I get to go before his heavenly throne. It's not a place I can take for granted. But what Calvin's saying is also, it's not just that you can't take it for granted. It's that you need to put yourself in a posture where you're worthy of speaking to the king. Right? 
Sometimes I, I talked about royalty uh, last night, but I sometimes ask people to ask themselves a question. You know, if if you got a telephone call and uh, somebody said that somebody significant was on the other side of the line, you start to fill in the blank. How would you respond? And usually, what I find is most people are honest and say, the more important the stature of the person who's calling, uh, the, the the more it changes your posture, right? So I have this vivid memory of uh, when Mark Sanford was governor of South Carolina, I got this call one day and she said, hi, um, I am the governor's secretary. Uh, The governor would like to speak to you. Hold for the secretary. And she buzzed me through to Mark Sanford. And the first thing I knew, I was in in conversation with the governor of South Carolina. I had no idea why he was calling her. But But let me tell you, I was paying attention. I mean, woof. You know, there was, there was another experience I had at St. Paul's Somerville where I got a call from the presiding bishop, and I wasn't in, so I got a message. The presiding bishop called, could you please call back? You know what I thought? I thought, what did I do wrong? So the first thing, I, I went to all the people on staff, and I tried, to, did I do anything wrong? Anybody know I did anything? Then I, then, I called, then I called the bishop's office, and I said, do you guys have any idea why the presiding bishop is calling me? He had seen a prayer request that I posted on the internet, and he wanted to let me know that he was praying about this situation. He was very moved about what I said. It was very nice of him. But the point is, I was like, oh my gosh, the presiding bishop called me, holy smokes. And of course, the first thing is, what did I do wrong? This is what Calvin said. You, it's not just being God-centered. You've got to take a moment and say, I'm actually in the presence of God. I've got to act like it. There is a, there is a level of self-consciousness that comes with purification. Now, still not done. Five more minutes, I'm going to get to three, and I'm going to let you go for now, and then we'll come back and do these. But this is fascinating, and again, this is something I never learned as a young Christian. Number three, which I think of all the five is my favorite, is this. Another rule of prayer is that in asking, this is Calvin now, I'm quoting directly, we must always truly feel our wants and seriously consider that we need the things which we ask and accompanying our prayer with a sincere, nay, even an ardent desire of obtaining them. Boy, there's a sentence you could spend the rest of the weekend on. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying something very, very profound. He's saying perfunctory prayer is out the window. If you look at the Psalms, if you believe that the Psalms are the prayer book of Jesus, if you look at the Psalms and think about what they teach you about prayer, They teach you about the role of your heart and your feelings in prayer. And what they make clear is this psalmist is determined that God does what he wants. He feels the need and he presses God. Psalm 42. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me, he says. Why? You you get the sense in some psalms that God has got to get his act together. When I was growing up in the summers, my family went to the summer home of YMCA in the Adirondacks at the Silver Bay Association, which is another long story for another time. And uh, the Silver Bay Association is really an interesting place. People come from all of the United States to have these summer camps, Camp Farthest Outcomes, the Lutherans come. And uh, the one group that came that drove me crazy every summer was the, the people who trained the high school cheerleaders all over the United States. So all over this college campus, all summer long, we had cheerleaders who trained cheerleaders learning cheers. And the reason I remember this vividly is because both my parents were teachers. We spent the entire summer up there. And so you'd get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and you'd hear cheers. And I mean loud cheers all day long, six days a week. 
And some of these cheers reverberate in my mind like, like, like it's yesterday. And one of the ones that I thought was really terrible that I'll never be able to forget was, our team is definitely hot. Your team is definitely not. And they would do this for hours at a time. Now, the reason, I, the, reason, the reason I bring that up is you can actually think of some of the prayers in the Psalms exactly that way. Right? Basically what the psalmist is saying is, hey, hey Lord, just in case you didn't know, we're the people of God, right? You promised you will be our God and we shall be your people. Have you noticed? We're getting killed out here. We're losing. The other team is winning. The other team is really looking red hot. We're looking definitely not. And if you're God, you better get it together and bless your people. And the point is, it's felt. It's felt. It's articulated and felt. All right, I'm done for time. So get to take a break. So I didn't write up the third one, but not just purified, but ardent, ardently felt. Can I put that up here? Ardently You actually are telling God what's on your heart. Lord, I've got this difficult child. Everything I've tried isn't working. They're not doing it. We have in our family, uh, hilarious family photos, we have our son uh, who's been told to take a nap. And we have him, he's shaking the crib. And he says, no, 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 no. No, and his, his two sisters love to watch that over and over again. It's just so... But you, you all know what I'm talking about. I mean, it didn't matter. He was the one of the three that would never take a nap. I mean, it, was like, it was like an act of sheer rebellion. Lord, please calm our son down, right? It's that kind of a thing. All right, we get 15 minutes, right? Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Okay. Back at 10.30, right? <laughs>